in the weeks leading up to Easter, we're, we're a few weeks away from Easter, uh, I've decided, yeah, I've decided to do something a little bit different for me, for this house anyway, but I think it's a really good thing. Um, the, 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 it's, it's kind of a longer story, but the very short story is it was after a season of, of prayer and meditation, and I was setting aside some time for preparation for the, the weeks ahead, and I knew that I was going to land uh, at a certain spot in Genesis, and I was mapping out. Uh, and I told you last week, I thought, oh, I want to do, some, I want to stu- do a study of the patriarchs. And I thought, hmm, I have five weeks until Easter morning. I can't do the patriarchs in five weeks. What am I going to do here? And this is, you know, it's, there's, a, there's a lot of people that live up here. <laughs> and they argue a lot. And uh, so there was a lot of arguing. And, uh, and, uh, and then I had an idea. One guy up there had this idea. And, I, and everybody else said, quiet, that's ridiculous. And... Uh, yeah, they did. It, this is an honest description of what happens. The most honest I've been. That's what happens up here. So one guy said something, everybody said, oh, quiet, that's a bad idea. You can't do that. But then he, he spoke up again, and then everyone voted that he was right. And so here's what I've asked this to do. Let's click the next slidey roo there. This is what I've asked. For the next five weeks, I'm asking my team, members that we have, we have this is the uh, team heritage there, my team. I'm asking that one of the, the members from each staff team will come and speak each week before as we lead to Easter. What I've asked them to do is to share their alabaster box with you. I'm not asking them to bring some heavy revy or some fanciful, you know, it's not like, you know, we really need some teaching. We, we, we have a lot of that. What I'm asking is for them to share their heart, their voice. That's why the, the smaller print on that thing says, our heart, our voice. So I'm asking them to share their voice with you. And I I, I feel that for two reasons it's important. Uh, uh, I feel like that concentration of, of, of these weeks together, I mean, I could have spread it out, but it wouldn't have been the same. That wasn't what the Lord really wanted. The, I don't believe that. He wanted the, there to be a, an expression of the voice of this house to this house, and I believe that it will be edifying and life-giving, and, and uh, it will be a catalyst, a greater catalyst for all that the Lord wants to do in this season. The Lord has been with us. We've been doing some great things. And yet when we're always on the verge of the next season, but here we are again, I believe, on the verge of, and I believe this is a part of that. So I want them to share because I think it'll edify the house. But I also want them to share because I want you to have a greater opportunity to have a a faith, an affection buy-in to their lives. One guy last night said to me, thank you. He said, I've gone, you know, for all the churches that I've ever been to, I've always wanted to hear from the pastoral staff. I wanted to know who they were and what was in their hearts. And so you can see what the, what the things that they do, but you don't often have opportunity to hear their heart and then to hear their heart in, a, in, a, in, a, in an ensemble presentation like we're about to do. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the longest I'll take to explain all of that. Uh, and the, so the coming weeks... Just rewind the tape and remember what I said. <laughs> this this weekend, starting last night, I've asked the, the I've asked my associate pastor Jeremy Young to speak. Jeremy Young is a disciple of Jesus, <laughs> and uh, he is a husband and a father, and he's a minister of the gospel. He's one as my associate at Heritage. Jeremy is primarily responsible for, for things that begin with G. Again, this is a window into my mind. How does that mind work? You don't really want to know. But 
things that begin with G. Gatherings, groups, guests, guys, those kinds of things. If it starts with a G like that, I say, hey. And he is the one <laughs> that I am, I, am, I am honestly harshest with. Because I love him so much, but there's just there's that we have a he and I have a all of my team have we have different histories, but there's no way that I would, for instance, speak to, to Gabrielle the way that I speak to Sasquatch. Uh, but it's important for you to know that this this man who is, I guess they say a former Marine, but I just call him my Marine, and he's really. <laughs> I'll tell you this, and my staff will be the first to shout me down. He is our Marine. And at the end of the day, we know we, we've got that, that, that Sergeant Young has got our back. He's got our six. And that's really true. I mean, that's pro- I'm not just saying smoky stuff. That's the truth. Uh, the Young, as a, Jeremy and his family, they, they are a member of my family. They are a part of Team DAV, and they are absolutely part of the heart and voice of Team Heritage. Yeah. And so I'd like you just to welcome afresh, uh, Pastor Jeremy Young. You know, there, there are times when, I said this last night, and it happened again today, um, where you just feel, I mean, just completely inadequate to be standing where you're standing completely inadequate to be representing who you're representing and standing here today representing the person of Jesus Christ and getting ready to share my story and what he's done in my life. Sometimes it's, it's pretty weighty. It's overwhelming at times. And I'm not an emotional guy. And I think last night when I shared, I cried a little bit more than I have in the last year or so. <laughs> but I get to share something that's near and dear to me is what, what Jesus Christ has done and how he's transformed my life. And, and I, I don't want to start off by saying I, you know, not only standing here, but being introduced by, by a man like Davenport, who's one of the most godly men I know. And to be introduced by, by, by such, such a godly and humble man in the way that I'm introduced, it's overwhelming. And not only him, but our whole team. If you look at our team, our whole team. The Grosskoffs, the Lanes, the Browns, the Carsons, and the Davenports. And then he wouldn't say it, but the but Rod Allen. Yeah. Right? He would he would never say it, and he would probably get mad. I hope he's not watching. <laughs> but I, I, I get to serve on such an amazing team. And I get to serve amazing people, and that's you. And Heritage Church is a great church full of great people. You are great people. You are godly people, and I'm thankful for you. I'm thankful and I'm, I'm humbled to be able to serve you in the capacity that I do. <laughs> Thank you. I love you too. There are great things ahead for this church. Great things ahead for this church. I, I, I fully expect that this church will continue to plant other churches. And I fully expect that we will see 10,000 born again and baptized in the Holy Spirit. Heritage Church will continue to impact this region for Christ. And we'll see a shift in the spiritual dynamic of the Pacific Northwest. I fully believe that. Now, I met, I met our pastor in August of 2014. And I knew right away I'd be working with him. 
few months later, I actually approached him, and I knew he had a need in kids' ministry, and I, and I knew a pretty, pretty decent children's pastor. <laughs> I'm married to her. And I just said, hey, hey, I said, hey, Dad, you want to get lunch? He's like, yeah, what's it about? I was like, well, I want to talk to you about my wife and me and, and your church. <laughs> and we sat down, and, and he's like, all right, we'll talk. I was like, we want to come work for you. <laughs> or I think it was more direct. We're going to come work for you. <laughs> so he hired my wife. Not that I'm telling him what to do, but, but it, was, it was something that God put on my heart to be that, that, that direct with him. And I'm thankful that he was willing to, to, to be open to it. We're here. <laughs> so, <laughs> oh. But I'm in a position where I get to directly support this great man of God. And I'm thankful for that. Now, I haven't always been a follower of Christ. For 30 years of my life, I knew of Jesus, kind of, but I didn't know him. If my life was a song... I was writing my own. I was writing my own song, and what I was writing was a mess. Probably pretty similar to if I tried to write a song now, to be honest, like a real song, because it's just not my strength. (laughs) Now, I'm not going to jump to the end of my story, and I don't want it right now, but the song of my life now is much different than it was then. Psalm 40, verse 3 says, He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. I'm going to tell you about how Jesus, course, Jesus Christ will transform your life because he transformed mine. Now, my life, I'm, sharing, I'm going to share with you my life, and I'm not sharing this to, to brag or to, or to be like, hey, look at what I've done. I'm giving you some background and context and to, to the extent of what Jesus has done in my life. I was born and raised in Southern California. Some of you might say strike one. <laughs> <laughs> But I was born and raised in Southern California. People give me a hard time, especially around here. They're like, you're a Rams fan? I'm like, hey, man. You know, I was, I was you know, born and raised in Southern California. My family growing up was a devout Mormon family. I'm the oldest of five kids. You know, in the Mormon church, it's not a huge family. But I'm the oldest of five. I went to church my whole life. My dad was in leadership in the local Mormon congregation. I even graduated. They have a seminary program for high school students where you go before school every day, like 5 a.m. or something, and, uh, and I graduated that program. I was in Boy Scouts, and before I turned 16, I attained the rank of Eagle Scout. It really, my dad said, if you want to drive, <laughs> if you want to give your driver's license when you turn 16, you got to do this. So I did it. I played basketball. I was in high school. People ask, how tall are you? I'm 6'6". Six, six. People say, well, did you play basketball? Well, I did. I probably should have played football because I'm not as coordinated as, I, as, I, as, as needed to play basketball, right? Except when I play against Andrew. I've messed him up. <laughs> oh, man. My dad was a police officer. He retired a few years ago. And, and if I tell you the story like that, so far it makes me, I'm like, yeah, it's an okay kid, an okay teenager. And on the surface, yeah, maybe. But really what was going on it's like this inner turmoil. And when I was about 16 years old, when at my junior year in high school, that started to come out. And I remember I made, I made a conscious decision that I was going to rebel. Because I thought I had it all figured out. I was writing my own song. I was like, yeah, I'm going to write the song of my life, and it's going to be amazing. This is going to be the funnest song anybody's ever heard. When people couldn't answer my questions, or when they did answer my questions, and I didn't like what they were saying, I didn't listen to them. I didn't want anything to do with them, because I thought I had it all figured out. This didn't work out well in the Mormon church. 
They didn't answer questions what I deemed correctly about who Jesus was. And I wanted nothing to do with the Jesus that they were teaching me about. I never felt good enough. I never felt like I was, I was, I was, I could do good enough. I always felt inadequate. I always felt like something was wrong with me. So I rebelled. I remember making the conscious decision. I remember telling myself, hey, if anybody tells you to do something, you're going to do the opposite of that. Just, to, just really to be a jerk. And that's what I did. My junior year in high school, I decided there were plenty of other things to do other than school. I didn't graduate up. I didn't graduate on time. But when I turned 18, I decided, hey, I'm going to move out of my parents' house. I had two part-time jobs. I got some roommates, and I, I thought I had it all figured out. My song was going to be awesome when I moved out of my parents' house. About six months later, I had to move in with my grandparents because it, it didn't end up very well. It's a whole story in itself. And part of the deal there was that my grandma, she said, if you're going to live with us, you're going to finish high school. So that's why I finished high school. I had like five or six classes, and I went to this, this school. I, I did it. It took about a month. And then one day, I woke up, and I came out. I was working, at, working a job, I think, at a factory or something, and I had the day off. My grandma was like, hey, get in the car. I lived in San Jacinto, California at the time in Riverside County, and uh, she's like, hey, we're going to drive down to Mecula. Okay, great. I thought maybe she was going to buy me lunch. But uh, we, we pulled into this, um, like a strip mall, you know, and there's like, there's, there's recruiter's offices. <laughs> and she pulled up in front of the Marine Corps recruiter's office because in my, in my family, you're a Marine or you're nothing. <laughs> right? My uncle's a Marine. My grandpa's a Marine. Got cousins that are Marines. We're all Marines. And in my family, you're a Marine or you're nothing. So she pulls up in front of the, the Marine Corps recruiter's office. She's like, hey, walk in there. So I walk in, and I remember the, this recruiter, you know, I, he looks at me. He's like, hey, you look like you're ready to be a Marine. Sure. <laughs> right? And, and to be honest with you, I thought, I was like, man, I'm just going gonna, gonna, I'm gonna to join the Marines. It's going to be a job. Yeah. And I'll be able to, I'll be close to home. You know, Camp Pendleton's close, and 29 Palms is close, and boot camp's close. <laughs> wasn't, wasn't just a job, right? It was a pretty life-changing experience. Three months after I walked into the recruiter's office, I was in boot camp. And then in boot camp, I couldn't act up anymore. <laughs> right? Not because I, I mean, because I would get in trouble, but everybody else would get in trouble. And to be honest with you, I did not want to get beat up. If I got some be- other people in trouble, I didn't want them mad at me. Because I didn't want to, I just didn't want to get beat up. But after boot camp, I went to 29 Palms, I went to Camp Pendleton, and I ended up, when I re-enlisted, I got stationed in Portland, Oregon for four years. That's how I ended up up here. When I was in the Marines, I did what Marines do. We said we would work hard and we'd play hard, and we did. I traveled all over the world. I deployed three times. I've been to more countries than I've been states. And I've got a bunch of pictures of me drinking in a bunch of different countries. I can't even show, hey, hey, kids, Look at, look at where I got to go because I don't want to show them pictures of their dad in bars. But those are the only pictures I have. Now, there's a couple times when I was deploying that I didn't recognize it, but, but God was speaking to me. Uh, we were in Jordan, the country of Jordan, in late 2002. And uh, we were training and... and uh, some of the time we were trying, we'd be out, but then we were, I was on a ship and we were on, on a pier and back then we had you know, disposable cameras. <laughs> and that's how we took pictures. 
and we couldn't go out in town because they didn't like Americans. So there was a guy who would come to the, come to the ship and uh, we'd give him our disposable cameras and a few bucks and he'd go and develop our, our pictures and bring them back to us. That's how we got pictures. And uh, I remember one night I went out there and I was t- I just sat down. I don't even know why I was talking to him, but I sat down and I was talking to him. And he looks me right in the eyes and he says, are you a Christian? I said, no, no, I'm not. He's like, well, you should be. Because I'm a Christian here in Jordan and I can get killed for it. Now fast forward six months. I'm in Iraq. We're getting ready to go into Baghdad. I'm on the outskirts of Baghdad. And we just drove in up. There's a, there's a, a road we're at. And, and we had, honestly, we just sent a bunch of people forward. And we, I mean, just, just annihilated the place. And, and I, I drive up and we pull up and there's this gate to this door that opens. The gate's got bullet holes all in it. And this gate opens. And, you know, we, you know, tell a guy to get on the ground. He's like, no, 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 I just want to talk. I just want to talk. And he comes out. And the Humvee in front of me, had a, had a telescoping antenna that looked like a cross. And it would go way up, and it would have these antennas hanging off of it. But when it was down, it looked like there was a cross on top of the Humvee. And I wasn't driving that Humvee, but this guy walked right up to me. And he looks at me in the eyes, and he said, are you a Christian? He's like, no, I'm not. He's like, well, you should be, because I'm a Christian here in Iraq, and I can get killed for it. Now, God was speaking to me. He was trying to give me a new song. I just wasn't listening. Yeah, he was yelling at me. <laughs> he was speaking very blunt and very directly to me. I re-enlisted after I came back, and I, and I chose to be stationed here in Portland, frankly, to get away from deploying. I was sick of deploying, and I knew a lot more deployments were coming. So I came here, and I deployed people instead of deploying myself. In October of 2007, I was honorably discharged from the Marine Corps after nine years. Now, for those nine years, the Marines told me what my song was. They told me what the song of my life would be like. And when I got out, what stuck coming out of there was pride. The song of my life was prideful. The song of my life was arrogant. And the song of my life was full of lies. I thought I was an untouchable human being. I was a Marine. Nobody could touch me. In early 2008, I was, I was pulled over three times for driving on a suspended license. I, uh, I had some fines that I thought I had, or a fine I thought I had paid, and I didn't, and they suspended my license, and they didn't know. And I got pulled over, and, and I got pulled over once, kept driving, got pulled over again, kept driving, got pulled over again, kept driving. This resulted in I had about $4,000 in fines, which I couldn't pay. And at the time, I was a department manager at a hardware store and a bouncer at a local bar. And I came up with this great idea to pay off my fines. Greats in quotes there. I was in a, I was in a position where I could, I could very easily, I was unchecked with, with money. And so I decided that instead of working to pay off these fines, I would have my boss pay off these fines. And I stole about $4,000 from my boss. And I got caught. I remember him calling me out in my office. And this was a guy who I worked for as a family-owned business. And, and he, he called me in his office, and he's like, see, you've been uh, making some withdrawals out of the cash register. I was like, what are you talking about? I was untouchable. You can't touch me. And he looked right in my eyes, and he said, you're fired. Get out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. So I walked out. And I thought that was it. It's like, all right, 
well, I got to go find another job. I didn't know where I'd find a job. Everybody knew who I was. But on January 18th, the next Monday, there was a rather loud knock on my door in my apartment. I remember going to the door, and I looked through the peephole, and there's a guy standing there in a suit, and it was pretty early in the morning. I remember thinking, I'm like, it's pretty early for a salesman to be here. But what I didn't see was around the corner, there was a uniformed police officer, and the guy standing that I was looking through was a detective. When I came out, I was arrested for theft. I opened the door, and I was arrested for theft. I wasn't even all the way dressed, and they handcuffed me and walked me across the parking lot of my, my apartments. It was humiliating. Humiliating. And it took, so I get arrested, and then about, it takes about two months for my court date. And in those two months, all of my friends, they didn't want to be friends with me anymore. They didn't want to be friends with a thief and a liar, somebody who'd been lying to them the whole time. I, fortunately, I, I, I lost my place to live, but I, I had reconnected with some, older, some old friends, and they, uh, they allowed me to come stay at their house for a while. Uh, but everybody took off except a couple of Christian families. And these Christian families, instead of running, they, took, they, they saw the opportunity and they invited me closer. One of those guys, his name was Abram, and he was a, he was a, a cashier at the store. And I had tried to essentially cover my tracks by, by having, you know, it, it, it kind of steered away from me. And, and the cashiers, like, they kind of got in trouble because I was using them. And he was one of them. But he would always tell me when I was at work, he's like, hey, I'm praying for you. And my response, stop it. I don't need that. But this guy, Abram, stepped closer, and he invited me to church. His dad was a pastor at a local church. So I went to church, but I still wouldn't accept Christ. I remember the pastor of that church, he, he invited, he's like, hey, I remember standing at the, I mean, the doors are in the back of the, the sanctuary, and I remember him, he's like, hey, you want to come down and accept Christ? I was like, no, I'm good, man. I'm good. I was still holding on. There's still some. I was still holding on to pride. My song was still prideful until March 22nd, 2010, my court date. I pled guilty to four misdemeanor theft charges. Now, standing in front of a judge and pleading your case and saying, "Look, I'm sorry," and him looking at you and saying, "I can see that you're sorry. I can see that you're sorrowful, Mr. Young." He's like, "But there are consequences for your actions." So I was sentenced to a week in jail which I got to come back the, the following Monday. And essentially, I knock on the door and they let me in. They told me to come back. But I sentenced a week in jail. I had, I had probation. I was ordered to, ordered to pay, court rest, or pay restitution and court fees. The very next day, it was a Tuesday, March 23rd, 2010, I received, <laughs> so I'm going to get all messed up, but I received a text from one of the Christians that I knew. She asked me if I wanted to accept Christ. Her name was Kara Nichols. I said yes, and it seemed like about five, less than five minutes, and, I, and I'd lit, I, she must have been driving fast. She doesn't drive fast, but she was driving fast. She knocked on my door, and she said, come on. And I got in the car, and she drove me to her parents' house and in their living room with her dad, who was the pastor of the church, her brother Abram, who was the cashier at the store, and her mom. I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I had no more pride left. I was humiliated. I had nothing to offer. But I accepted this free gift of Jesus, that Jesus Christ offered me. He had given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. From that moment on, my song began to change. Jesus Christ began to transform my life. 
The next Monday, I checked into jail. But before I went to jail, instead of telling people to stop praying for me, they said, like, hey, can I pray for you? Yes, please do. <laughs> now, I smoked for 12 years. I was 30 years old at the time. And when I was 18, I started, I was like, hey, I'm going to smoke. People told me I'd smoke. I was like, so I'm going to do whatever I want. And Kara, Kara looked at me and she said, do you want to stop smoking? I was like, I do. And she's like, I know somebody can help you. And she prayed for me, and that's the last cigarette I ever had. I also started reading the Bible and realized there's some things in my life that needed to change. My language needed to change. How I interacted with people needed to change. My social life, my moral life, and my lies needed to change. I realized that my song was not as good as I thought it was. I also remembered God speaking very clear to me. The first time I remember God speaking to me where I was like, man, God just spoke to me, movie Pinocchio. <laughs> and remember, I lied a lot. And I lied about who I was, and I lied to try to cover up things. And, and, and I watched Pinocchio to try to, like, to, to get to the end of the movie where you know, all the, the boys go and they do whatever they want, and they turn into donkeys, and then they come back. And you know, the, they, Anyway, that's what I wanted to watch. But there, the, there's a scene where Pinocchio decides he wants to do what he wants, and he gets, he gets captured by Stromboli. And he's in a cage in the back of Stromboli's wagon, and the blue fairy shows up. He's like, what happened? He starts lying. Nose is growing. Right? And eventually the nose grows out and it pops out and there's a bird nest, right? And like this bird's sitting in there and he's got this, this, and she's looking at his nose and she says, a lie keeps growing and growing until it becomes as plain as the nose on your face. And when she said that, the whole world stopped. I turned the movie off. I started calling people that I had lied to and apologizing. I knew God was speaking to me in that moment. And I knew how, how obvious the lies of my life were. Now, I tried to bring a Bible into jail with me, but they don't let you bring anything in with you. But I was given this Bible right here by Kara's parents. And it was wrapped up, and I left the the seal on it. I left it all wrapped up, thinking, hey, maybe they'll let me bring it in. They didn't. I got to put it in a a belongings bag, and they put it in a storage room. And uh, But I did ask the deputy, the deputy sheriff there. I said, hey, is there any way I can get a Bible before you take me back to where I'm going to be? He said, yeah. He stopped by the library, and I grabbed a Bible. And for a week, I read the Bible. That's all I did. Now, people were asked, they saw me reading the Bible, and they're asking me questions like, I know what I'm talking about. And I was like, <laughs> I'm like man, I'm new. I'm new, bro. <laughs> like, 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 I'm really new at this. But when I got out of jail, I just kept reading the Bible. I didn't have a job. I didn't have anything else to do. I just kept reading the Bible. And I also started dating Kara. I wasn't looking to, it just started happening. And her family was understandably cautious of this. Very cautious of this. What's this guy doing with our daughter? But we knew. We knew God had brought us together. We spent time in prayer. We spent time reading the Bible together, talking and dreaming about what our lives would be like. Kara watched the transforming power of Jesus Christ in my life. She watched Jesus Christ transform me. On February 25th, 2011, we were married. Three days ago, we celebrated our 10th wedding anniversary. January of 2012, I began attending the Oregon campus of Northwest University full-time because I felt called to ministry, and I started realizing that I felt called to ministry. Now, the last time I was in school was high school, and I didn't want anything to do with it. This time, 
I couldn't get enough of it. I wanted to take more classes. Especially in school where I got to read the Bible. I were learning about the Bible. It was great. I had lots of questions. Still, lots of questions. The first semester during one of the chapel services, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I remember, I was there, and it felt like the whole building was shaking. At first, I thought, I'm like, man, this building's old, and it's not really that well put together. But, <laughs> but it felt like the building was going to crash down on me, and it was, it was the presence of the Lord coming down on me, and I started speaking in tongues, and it was amazing. And I was like, Lord, I want more of this. Now, my senior year is where I met a prof- new professor named Dr. Dev. May of 2015, I graduated with honors, received a bachelor in Christian, Christian leadership, and shortly after, we moved here to Vancouver, Washington, and my wife began to serve full-time at Heritage Church. And a little less than a year later, I came on, time, on full-time. Now, Jesus, Jesus Christ transformed my life. He justified me. Romans, Romans 4, starting in verse 25, says this, He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into the holy place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing in God's glory. I'm reading the New Living Translation mainly because I'm telling my story, and this is a New Living Translation. But the word in in chapter 5, verse 1, this, that's translated as made right is the word justified. And that word means to absolve, to acquit, or to clear from any charge or imputation. In the New Testament, this word is only used in regard to people. Meaning, what Christ did on the cross makes those who put their faith in him righteous, virtuous, and good. Amen. I stand in front of you, righteous, virtuous, and good. Jesus absolved me, and he absolves us from the consequences of sin and enables the enjoyment of divine favor. Not only does he remove it, but he allows us divine to have divine favor. We are no longer we no longer live under the fear of punishment because we've been declared righteous by God. I'm declared righteous by God. In verse 2, that's why it says Christ has brought us into the place of undeserved privilege and we can confidently look forward to sharing in God's glory. On March 23rd, 2010, when I accepted Christ, I was justified in heaven. Nine years later, on February 14th, 2019, my criminal record on earth was justified. Now I'm going to read this because the wording is incredible. It's a legal document. And they handed me this and they said, hey, hold on to this because this is the only record that any of this ever happened. I, I, had, I had heard that you can apply to have your record sealed and expunged. And I was like, all right, I want to do that. So I did it, but I didn't know the extent to which what, what, of what would happen. I wanted my, because I, for, for nine years, whenever I went to a kid's camp or went to youth camp or anywhere where they did a background check, I had to explain what I had done. So I was like, I don't want to explain that anymore. I want that gone. So I wanted that record, that record expunged. Now what happened was so much more than the conviction. The date of the original arrest, the original arrest charges, the conviction charge, the date of conviction, the agency that arrested me, the incident number, that I, the fact that I was fingerprinted, that I was convicted, that I, that I spent time in jail, 
and that I was released from jail was all wiped off, the, was, was legally, legally erased. This is the wording. It is hereby ordered that the above described conviction be and the same hereby is set aside. And for purposes of law, the defendant is hereby deemed not to have been previously convicted of said offense. And the defendant may accordingly answer any questions relating to said conviction and related events as if such events had not occurred. That's what happened on March 23rd, 2010 in heaven. Have you ever sinned? Nope. Nope. I stand in front of God righteous. Now the cool part is, is I was in the same courtroom in the same seat that I pled guilty. Same seat. And Kara was sitting in the back of the room. She's sitting in the, in the, in the, the gallery. And when the judge said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to grant your request. My wife was sobbing. She was sobbing. She had, she had watched me fall, and she was watching me be restored. Now, I always thought, you know, until last night, that it would be cool if new judge was, or uh, uh, the, old, the old judge was there to see, see this, but, but I was, it was pointed out to me that you, I needed a new judge. And that new judge removed my record. Got you a new one. I was justified. It's just as if I had never done it. Just as if I had never sinned. What continues to happen in my life are the consequences of my decision to put my faith in Jesus Christ. June of last year, Jesus removed a mountain in my life that had been there for years. A year, a mountain that I'd been fighting for for years. A mountain that I sat. I remember sitting in our pastor's backyard and be like, "This is impossible." It's so stacked against me. I've looked every way you can get up this mountain. I can't get over it. And I remember a pastor say, but God can do it. June of last year, I won custody of my daughter. And she's home. She's home. He's not done with my family yet. Not by a long shot. There are many other miracles in the works. There are other family members who will be here. There are family members who will come home. There are family members who will come to know Jesus Christ. And I look forward, I look forward to the day that I get to baptize family members. Man, I look forward to that day. My trust is in Jesus Christ, and I know he is faithful. He transformed my life. He justified me, and he also renovated and renewed me. Titus chapter 3, starting in verse 4. When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. The word new birth here actually means regeneration or a spiritual renovation. My life was renovated because of my mercy in Jesus Christ, of, of the mercy of Jesus Christ. And the word new life means to renew qualitatively, making a person different than in the past. So he renovated my life and he made me a new person. Now, if you renovate a building, you don't do the same things in that building anymore. If I renovated my house, if I gutted my house and renovated it, I would live in my house differently than I did before. I was sitting in a coffee shop uh, with my friend John on Friday. (laughs) And the coffee shop that I was sitting in used to be a pizza place. And I was explaining it to him and I was like, man, they renovated this place. You don't come in here and order pizza anymore. You come in here and order coffee. And my life 
I don't live the way that I did before. I live the way that Jesus wants me to live because he renovated my life. The person that I was is dead. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. The new has come. The old has passed away. Jesus Christ will transform your life. He justified me. He renovated me. And he renewed me. He will justify you. He will renovate you. And he will renew you. My transformation has been radical. I'm blown away at, what, at the life I used to live. It's so strange to me now. I'm very different than who I was before Jesus. Everything that I do is for him. Everything. My entire life is for Jesus Christ. If, I'm not, if what I'm doing is not for Jesus Christ, if what I'm doing here is not for Jesus Christ, then it's pointless. It's pointless. I remember about 11 years ago, I was arrested and convicted of theft. I was a thief. I was a liar. I was immoral. I was untrustworthy. And all around, just not a good guy. A couple of years ago, my wife wrote this about me in her blog. She wrote, He has chosen love and mercy. He is honest to the core of who he is. He is the most faithful man I know and has moments where he could have easily justified giving up. But he has such incredible integrity and faith. He perseveres. When he is struggling, he still comes to, com to comfort me in my time of incredible grief. He loves me. He cares for me. He tends to my aching heart, and he serves me with his whole heart. He has shown me what the scriptures instruct a husband to do, to lay down his life. He loves Jesus with everything he has. It is because of Jesus that we, where, where, we are where we are today. Now, she was reflecting on 10 years of being married. She wrote this this week. Fortunately, it was good. <laughs> no, but it's good. I love my wife so much. She wrote this about us. We are gentler and kinder people. We have dug deep roots together in the truths of our Savior and in the promises of God's word. Every storm that was intended for our destruction only deepened our roots and made us stronger. And here we stand, hand in hand, looking at, the, at more impossibilities amidst miracles that continue to take place. Life is so incredible together. And my life isn't, it's not perfect. I've got struggles. I have things that I, that I struggle with. But because of my faith in Jesus Christ, I know, I know what my song sings. My life has been transformed by Jesus Christ. Psalm 40, verses 2 and 3. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Now, my song is not the song that I used to write. My song is a song of praise to our Lord. My song is a song of praise to Jesus Christ. He has given me a new song to sing. Jesus Christ transformed my life and he'll transform yours. If he can reach me, if he can change me, if he can use me, he can reach anyone. He can change anyone and he can use anyone. Maybe it's you. 
Maybe you, maybe you need Jesus Christ to come and transform your life. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe you've got a verse in your, in your life song that needs to be rewritten. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, he will write, he'll write a good song. He's a good God, and he loves deeply. He loves you. The God of the universe, the God who created all, cares about you personally. If you stand with me, we're going to sing this song, a song of praise to our God. And I'd invite you to sing it with us. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. And this is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior. so good and Lord we love you Lord we're thankful that you write a new song in our lives that you write a new song in our hearts and that our song is, is glorifying to you it brings praises to you Now I'm going to hang back with our, with, our, with our pastor and we're going to have some people up here. And if you want prayer, if you want prayer for you, if you, if, man, I would be honored to pray for you. If you want to accept Jesus Christ, I'd be honored to be there when you do that. If you need a, a song or a, hymn, a verse of your song to be rewritten, if you need Jesus to come and write a song for your life, I'd ask that you come up and you'd, 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 we'll pray with you. I'd be honored to pray with you. If you're online, We have intercessors who will pray for you right now. But as we, as we dismiss, I want to sing this as we dismiss. And if you have if you have prayer, if you want, have somebody in your life, somebody in your family who 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 you are, you want God to go and reach, and you you're like, man, maybe they can't reach him. They can, I promise. Well, we're gonna open this up up here, and you come up for prayer, and I'd be honored to pray for you. But let's sing this one more time, and then we'll then we'll then we'll. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, raising my Savior. I pray that you leave here blessed. I pray that the Lord continue to, continues to write a song of praise to him in your hearts. Lord, I pray that, that we, would, we would honor you and praise you in all we do. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hey, have a great week. Say something nice to each other. If you want prayer, come down. We're down here. We're going to pray with you. We love you. Have a great day.